Thanks for joining our podcast, Two Girls, One Crime, with Jackie and Vita, where we eat, drink, and discuss the craziest cases and criminals we can find. If you enjoy our episodes and would like to be a part of supporting our channel, check us out on Patreon under Two Girls, One Crime. And if you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Follow, like, subscribe, and show us the love in the comments. So, make a dish, grab a glass, and let's talk about another episode of True Crime. Alright guys, come on, come on! So much dark hair all around. Your black shirt is ruined. Hi, guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, if you're listening on Spotify, hey, hey. If you're here on YouTube, whose tank top is cuter? Just kidding. They're really basic. Spotify. Mine's a crop top. Oh. My pants are so high, you can't really Mine's tell. a crop top. Shh. Sit. Sit down. All right. Sit down. Yeah, let's get yeah. Okay, guys. You can't be in here. Oh my god, I can't even focus. What did I say? I'll just start over. Take two. <laughs> hey guys! Hello! Welcome back to our podcast. Two girls, one, one crime. crime. Oh wait, who says what? I, Take I, three! Hey guys! Welcome back to Two Girls, One Crime. Not cut. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe and like our video. And make sure to watch all the way till the end. And why is that, Jackie? Because we reveal secrets. Good dirty, secret. dirty secrets. I don't know. I just like, what would make people listen, you know? <laughs> Nothing. You just flash them at the end of this episode. OnlyFans. <laughs> Patreon. Patreon. Anyways, today <laughs> is going to be a fun episode because I'm not reading, mm. but I wrote the story. So, how Jackie. Was, how was writing it? Time consuming? Stressful? No, it was a breeze. <sighs> It was stressful because I didn't know I was writing this story until a day and a half ago. <laughs> so that was stressful. Oh, I fucked up. Why? I wasn't eating while you were talking. Oh, Jackie, rookie mistake. <laughs> so I made chicken, um, chicken shawarma, and I took the skin off the chicken. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna eat that. Johnny Lewis best known for playing Kip Half-Sack Epps in the FX series Sons of Anarchy, assaulted a maintenance worker at the residence, strangled his 81-year-old landlady to death, killed a cat with his hands, and then fell 15 feet to his death in the driveway of his co-op residence. It sounds like he has a lot of issues. Is this guy really famous? Like, was he really famous? Or was he like... No. I mean, if you were like a Sons of Anarchy fan, yes. Mm -hmm. Apparently the role he played, he was really popular. And mm -hmm. half sack, he had one testicle. That was his character's trait that he was known for. Got it. Yep. What would provoke an up-and-coming actor to do such horrific and seemingly random crimes? That is the question everyone was asking. Was it drugs? Was he diagnosed with a psychological disorder? Or... Was this just an unfortunate random act of violence that we will never truly know the motive behind? So let's start with Johnny's early life. 
were there signs of violence when he was a child? Oh, he's so blonde. Very white. Just like your hair color right now. I looked like that as a baby. Oh, so cute. My hair now is the same color as it was when I was a baby. Yeah, hair always gets darker, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Except mine, mine gets lighter. Because of sun. Jonathan Kendrick Lewis was born in Los Angeles on October 29, 1983. Scorpio! He grew up in a Jewish-oriented household and was the middle child of Michael and Devona Lewis in North Hollywood and Sherman Oaks. In addition to Judaism, his family also practiced Scientology. His parents attained what is known within the religion as the highest available level, Operating Thetan, or OT, V-I-I-I. <laughs> it's a number. OT8. V8, yeah. According to the Writings of Scientology, founder L. Ron Hubbard refers to someone in the spiritual state who offers knowing and willing cause over life, thought, matter, energy, space, and time. I feel like anyone who's in Scientology is, there's always an oddness to the story that's to come. I do want to preface something. Mm -hmm. The point of view of this tale does not come from the criminal slash the guy who died. Mm. His father told the story. Oh. So this is the perspective of his father. Mm -hmm. And some friends are referenced. Mm -hmm. But mostly, this is the father's version of the story. Johnny started going out for auditions when he was just six years old. He was cast in his first role at seven, a bit part in an escalator safety video featuring a rapping cartoon raccoon. <laughs> so I just, can we find that and put that in here? I he mostly worked on commercials at the beginning of his career until he landed a small part on Seventh Heaven and then Malcolm in the Middle, as well as Drake and Josh. I feel like that's a pretty standard actor path, right? Commercials, industrials, and then you break into... And Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> his parents have never recanted that their son showed any signs of violence during his childhood. I don't like that photo. That's him dressed up as a clown. Quite disturbing image. He just looks like a screw is loose. He's like, it's like the the mouth paint is bleeding out. I also like how you have no context for this photo. Whatever, Jackie. In 2001, by the time he turned 18, Lewis left his parents' home in the valley and moved to Hollywood, where he lived with other actors in what was widely known in the entertainment industry as the Wilton Hilton. I've never heard of it before, but I've never heard of that it was a thing, I guess. It was the frat row of young Hollywood, says director Doug Usher, one of Lewis's best friends who lived there with the young actor and future stars like Adam Brody, Brett Harrison, and Ashley Simpson. Oh, that's kind of cool. I want to live there. Johnny was living a dream life. He started to book regular TV shows here and there from 2002 to 2005 on Boston Public, Drake and Josh, and Quintuplets, and Smallville, and the OC. Sorry, that's a copy and paste messy sentence. Soon after, he landed some bigger roles in films like Alien vs. Predator, Raki, Requiem, Requiem, that's the whole movie name. His biggest role that he was known for was in Sons of Anarchy from 2008 to 2009. Hmm, who's that? Is that Katy Perry? It's Katy Perry. Huh. Huh. I heard she's weird, too. 
She dates weird men. He was also well known by the public as one of Katy Perry's first boyfriends in 2006. There are rumors that certain songs were written about their relationship, but she still to this day has not confirmed. So like the one that got away or something like that? Oh. Whatever that song is. That's one of them. Serial killer killed his 81-year-old landlord. <laughs> Despite his high-profile life, connection to celebrities, and access to exclusive parties, he was not known to be much of a partier. His friends describing him as intoxicating but not intoxicated. Just like you right now. Hmm. He was more likely to drink tea and play chess until 3 a.m. than slam shots or pop pills. That's what made Johnny special, said actor and longtime friend Jonathan Tucker. No drugs, no alcohol, just poetry and philosophy. So this is Jonathan Tucker. He's his best friend, according to this whole story, because he comes up a lot. You know, it's, it's interesting to me how many people are like that, don't need to, like, vibe into the drugs and alcohol scene. It's like Kai. And Mario. Yeah, Kai and Mario. They're just like, Kai's like... Intellectuals. I just want to go home and watch Ken Burns documentaries. <laughs> At least he didn't drink milk. In 2008, Johnny started dating Diane Gaeta, an actress who was also on Sons of Anarchy in 2008, appearing in a small role in episode 6 of season 1. In 2009, so the following year, she found out that she was pregnant, and the two excitedly moved in together to help raise their baby girl. On April 6, 2010, Diane Gaeta gave birth to a girl, Kala May. The co-parenting arrangement, however, didn't work, and Johnny moved out. He soon found himself embroiled in what would be a long and painful custody battle, one that he would eventually lose. There was a lot of issues with his family and Diane, whether or not he actually was the father of this baby, and they just really didn't trust this woman. I think they wanted a paternity test. I don't know if it was ever submitted, mm -hmm. and I don't know the intimate details of what happened or why they couldn't co-parent or why he lost custody. Mm -hmm. We can only speculate. Kala May, what an interesting name. Is that short for something now? C-U-L-L-A. Like, or is like it Southern. Yeah. Well, she's a, she's a Hispanic woman. Kuya. I think she's a Mexican actress. Kulo? Keep reading. <laughs> Before Kala May was born, Johnny would leave the show Sons of Anarchy. Despite the character's popularity and working on two seasons as Hapsack, Johnny became restless and asked to be written out of the show. Johnny wasn't happy, said series creator Sutter in a 2009 interview about Johnny's departure. Creatively, he really wanted out of his contract. He told us he left because the show was getting into gratuitous violence, said his father, Michael Lewis. Well, that's ironic. I know, right? Also, that's why I've never watched that show, because I thought it was maybe too, like, gross for me. Mm. I mean, it's like a biker game, right? I've heard it's, like, really brutal. So. I feel like once you've seen, like, Game of Thrones... I couldn't, I couldn't keep watching Game of Thrones. <sighs> he didn't want to communicate that as an artist, the violence. After leaving Sons of Anarchy, Johnny would never return to television. From 2010 to 2012, he worked on a couple low-budget features and some short films. 
His focus was mostly on writing his first novel about a young musical genius making his way in San Francisco. It is important to note where he was spending his time writing this novel. It was at the writer's villa in the hills, a small Spanish style villa run by one woman who opened her property to creatives. It was exclusive to whoever she deemed fit the artistic qualifications. Mostly up-and-coming actors, writers, and creatives lived in her villa. It had five rooms, and Johnny was staying in the Red Suite on the second floor for two months in 2009 until he moved in with Diane. That's an interesting arrangement. It's like an Airbnb or a co-op. Co-op, I would say. Yeah, or a hostel. Mm, my understanding is it was a villa and everyone had their own area and they were all neighbors sharing the property space. I see. There was like a really long list of like a bunch of celebrities that have stayed at this villa. Huh. Famous people living in this place. Basically. Okay. Revolving door. Catherine Davis was known by most of her tenants as Miss Kathy. She was a Texan who moved to California in 1950. She attended UCLA, worked in various publishing jobs before marrying James H. Davis. After she gave birth to a baby girl in 1958, Davis and her husband purchased the grand house in Los Feliz. In 1980s, she divorced and her daughter, the writer Margaret Leslie Davis, was grown up. So, Miss Kathy began a successful career as a real estate agent using her spacious empty nest as a temporary base camp for her well-heeled clients as they house hunted. If a pitch or audition went poorly, Miss Kathy would be there with open arms and homemade tamales. Oh, I love her. Isn't that so sweet? Her house was also an emotional refuge. Thomas Jane, the star of HBO's Hung, moved into the villa after a tough breakup with a live-in girlfriend in 2001. I needed a quiet place to stay. I met Kathy, fell in love with her place immediately. The dark wood, heavy furniture relaxed me. It was the perfect place to lick my wounds. Oh, you know, do places like that exist anymore, do you think, in LA? I'm sure, but they're just kind of hush-hush because they're so special. The following events to take place are what I believe, what you believe, led Johnny to his criminal spree and demise. Or what we believe. You could say. They believe. The internet believes. No, it's, I wrote that. It's what I believe. That's what I said. I said what you believe. Yeah, but you can read it as you. I believe <laughs> this led Johnny to his criminal spree and demise. Johnny got into a motorcycle accident in late October 2011 where he lost control of his Triumph motorcycle near 29 Palms. At the hospital, he was checked for signs of a concussion, but the test came back negative. In the days to follow, Michael Lewis, his father, noticed that his son's behavior was becoming erratic and bizarre. He wondered if the accident had shaken something loose in his brain. He immediately scheduled two MRIs which Johnny refused to undergo. Why? Don't know. So, I'm telling you, this story is weird. Friends picked up on Johnny's change in behavior too. Apparently, during an acting class in December 2011, he kept speaking in a vaguely British accent. I asked him about it because I was confused, Tucker said, but he shrugged it off. 
By the new year, Johnny's behavior would turn from curious to dangerous. Hmm. Oh. Maybe it was like a frontal lobe injury or... That is uh, something that mm-hmm. is brought up from a doctor. Okay, good doctor to know. It seems very abrupt. It is very abrupt. Ironic that it's a motorcycle accident coming from Sons of Anarchy. There's a lot of irony in this story. On the morning of January 3rd, 2012, Johnny was lounging in the Northridge condo that he had bought for his parents, watching his mother cook omelets. Dressed in pajama bottoms and a t-shirt, he announced he was going out for a stroll. As he walked past a neighboring unit, he thought he heard cries of distress and broke in. But the place was empty. Not long after, two men arrived and asked him to leave. Johnny went after them with an empty Perrier bottle, striking each on the head. <laughs> it's like the most bougie fight. It is. It's like a bar fight. A wealthy people fight. <laughs> a fight ensued, spilling out into the patio. Johnny bit one of the men on the arm while attempting to flee. He was overpowered and beaten in the head 17 times until they could detain him for the police. So these guys caught him breaking into the apartment and that's why they attacked him yeah because it was suspicious and they didn't understand why this guy was in there and mm-hmm. then he said well i heard a woman screaming mm-hmm. but there's no woman screaming and then he's the one so, who came after them with yeah the and then he attacked them and then they beat him 17 so he already like Had injured himself injury. from the motorcycle accident and oh. then he gets beaten Johnny claimed he was acting in self-defense. Police charged him with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> Very well. He was sent to the Twin Towers jail. I have a question. Yeah. How do you get charged with burglary if you didn't actually steal anything? No, burgle just means burgle. It just means that you break into a place. Oh, I thought it meant yeah. you take things. I don't think so. Okay. Burgle? Just burgle. Burgle? That's my new favorite word. <laughs> I think burgle is a real word. Though. Burgle? <laughs> Three days later, his behavior landed him in the psychiatric ward as a 5150, code for involuntary confinement. We call that Baker acting. He remained there for 72 hours. Seventy-two hours, according to Michael Lewis, Johnny was reported to be pounding his head against the concrete and attempting to leap from the second-story pier at the facility in an attempt to kill himself or escape. This resulted in more injuries to his head. <laughs> when Johnny's father bailed him out, the discharge summary read: "Chief complaint: blunt head trauma and suicidal." That's so bizarre that they would let him out. Suicidal ideations is like one of those buzzwords that you don't let them out till they're better. I know. Nothing about this story makes any sense. After a total of eight days behind bars, Johnny returned to his parents' house in Northridge. He was a physical and mental wreck. His face was puffy. He sported two black eyes. He looked like a wounded, broken animal, said his older sister, Anna. He acted like one, too. He wouldn't let anyone touch him or even get near him. He was acutely sensitive to light and began turning off all the lights in his house, eventually disabling the fuse box. 
this is like such a mystery. This is like something you would see on House. Yeah. You know, it's like he's turning into a vampire. According to MotorcycleAccident.org, it's a very specific website. People develop PTSD for different reasons, but as far as motorcycle accidents are concerned, the symptoms are divided into three categories. Re-experiencing, avoidance, and hyperarousal. Re-experiencing flashbacks to the accident, recurring nightmares, persistent distressing, avoidance, having trouble recalling the events that led to the crash and the crash itself, difficulty concentrating, excessive drinking, showing signs of self-destructive behavior and emotional numbness. Hyperarousal, easily startled, always alert, paranoid of danger, tense all the time, extreme episodes of uncontrolled anger, emotional outbursts, and irritability. I think he's got maybe one or two. So I don't know if he fits any of these like perfectly. Well, but, but you also have to consider like we don't really know. Right. All yeah. we have is like the sister saying the one thing about like he's really sensitive, he doesn't want to be touched, mm -hmm. he's really irritable, he doesn't like lights, mm -hmm. um, he doesn't want to talk, you know, like mm -hmm. all this stuff. Basically mm -hmm. like an avoidant. Then outbursts of anger, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. everything that he does following yeah. is so crazy and it makes no sense. I mean, it and could also be a combination of all of these. Right? Yeah. It's not like you're only in box A, but B, or C. But what I want to say is that I'm the only person that ever brought up PTSD in this whole story. The family never talked about PTSD. The doctors never talked about it. Yeah. I I can't believe it because like when you Google motorcycle accidents, PTSD comes up like right yeah. away yeah. as like a common thing to sure, look out for after you have a motorcycle accident because yeah. it's not like a car crash. There's nothing protecting you. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's your body. Yeah, your life really flashes yes. before your eyes. So, and you know what? Yeah. I don't know the details of the motorcycle accident. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if he was wearing a helmet or if he wasn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he hit a tree or mm -hmm. fell off of, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. he obviously, like, his whole life turned around. It happened after he quit Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. It happened after he lost custody of his kid. Mm, so it was just yeah. part of a spiral. Yes. Yeah, so I I yeah. think it was like whatever was going on on that motorcycle, if he lost his balance or lost mm -hmm. his concentration or was... Do you think he was inebriated or anything? I don't think so because I mean, it the way they paint that. a picture of him is that he really doesn't use substances. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I had a motorcycle. Accident? Mm -mm. Okay, never got into it. I got rid of it after six months because I almost got into like three accidents. Girl. I ran off the road a few times. This was in college too, so it's like naturally all bad drivers. And I don't know. I just was like, you know what? I don't need this stress in my life. I just need to get from point A to point B. I don't, like, I don't want to die. And then later, some of the worst injuries that I would see when I was training, the worst injuries were from motorcycle accidents. And I say worst injuries because it was either you were dead right. or you were like really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, really fucked up. Look at how cute she is. She's so cute. She's a cartoon. Hi. Of cuteness. The following weeks were a blur of self-destructive activity, including slashing his wrists in a suicide attempt. Michael and a network of family and friends that kept a close eye on him. And by the end of January, Lewis seemed more stable, so his father decided to let him live on his own in Santa Monica. Trouble started again immediately. 
this was a really short period of time. Yes, like, I is. wouldn't have said a month is enough time to say you're stable. I know. That's why I'm saying, like, this story doesn't make any sense. Like, the way they handled their son, it just, like, doesn't make... I'm yeah. just like, what? What? You know? I don't know. On February 10th, Lewis was arrested for cold cocking a man outside a yogurt shop. Do you know what cold cocking means? I've heard cold clocking. I've never heard of that, and I copy and pasted it, and then I Googled it. And Is it, it means coffee or clocking? I always thought it was clocking. I don't clocking. know. I copy and pasted the word because I was like, this is a funny word. Did he grab his nuts? No, <laughs> like, like, so I know it in the context of like, if you have a gun or a pistol, then you sense. like, psh. Yeah. I thought it was like you clock them. Yeah, with a clock, like with a Glock? No, well, it, it doesn't matter what, no. you, what you use. Clock them. Clock them. Like clock them. So, em. knock, yeah, knock them out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's just like copy and pasted okay. a, wrong, a word that was spelled wrong. <laughs> And now it's just funny. Cool but you can re-say the sentence and no, say, you don't leave it. clocking. <laughs> don't leave it. <laughs> he was arrested and then released on a $20,000 bail. Days later, he walked fully clothed into the ocean in Santa Monica and was hospitalized for hypothermia. So he stayed in the water... <laughs> long enough. So he stayed in the water long enough to get hypothermia. On February 18, he was arrested again, this time for trying to break into a woman's apartment in Santa Monica. He thought it was his friend's place. And again, he was released on bail for alleged attempted burgling. Burglary. Burgling. 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 After each criminal offense, Johnny's condition worsened. In May 2012, Tucker picked up his friend for one of his many court appearances and was unsettled by the change in his demeanor. It was another person completely, he said. He had a look I've only seen in disturbed veterans of war. His memory was scattered. He vacillated between basic lucid conversation and incoherence. It's starting to sound more like PTSD now. You know, it sounds like PTSD, but it also kind of sounds like schizophrenia to me. You are such a good doctor! Keep reading. <laughs> Doctors prescribed Johnny the drugs Zyprexa and Abilify, both of which are used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, even though he was not officially diagnosed with any type of disorder. Johnny resisted taking any medication, and they suspect he might have cheeked the pills. I like how you explain what cheeked the pills mean. I copy and pasted this part. <laughs> Hiding them in his mouth, pretending to swallow, and then spitting them out later. In case he didn't know. In case he didn't know what cheeking the pills meant. I mean, maybe someone would be like, what? Cheeking what? Cheeking what? Cheeking what? So anyways, you're a good doctor because you were like, this sounds like tits of friend around. And then the <laughs> next sentence was, he was prescribed medication for schizophrenia. Uh, the lingering question was, was he bipolar, psychotic, or, as his father believed, suffering from traumatic brain injury? You know, traumatic brain injury is an interesting thing, too, and they've only recently started doing, like, big studies on it. It's, like, a big thing as of... What year are we in? It's 2022. Like, 10 years. Yeah, right about this time, they were starting to study it. Michael is quoted saying, We got the motorcycle head injury. Then he's beaten in the head 17 times by the first burglary, burgle, break-in. 
And then when he's in jail, he's pounding his head against the concrete, attempting to leap from the second store pier. Then you have the doctor's own diagnosis of brain trauma, and that's just what we know about. A pediatric neurologist at UCLA Brain Injury Research Center, Christopher Giza, MD, evaluated Johnny. Pediatric? His findings are as follows. Head trauma can trigger behavioral changes. Some areas of the brain are particularly prone to traumatic brain injury. If you have injury in the frontal lobes, you can have significant changes in behavior, irritability, impulse control problems, and at the extreme end, violent outbursts. I said that too. Frontal I told you, you're such a good doctor. But Johnny was neither diagnosed nor treated for severe head trauma. And the symptoms his father described after the October 2011 motorcycle accident, which included headaches, sensitivity to light, are indicative of a mild injury, such as a concussion, which would not trigger aggressive behavior. Right, but he didn't even, they didn't even say he had a concussion. Mm -hmm. The test for concussion was negative. Johnny's lawyer, Jonathan Mandel, was working hard to persuade the courts to allow Johnny to swap jail time for a stay in a treatment center. Since there was no psychological diagnosis, it was challenging to prove to the courts that Johnny required treatment for mental health. Mendel tried to use Johnny's drug habits as a way to get him out. However, while incarcerated, Johnny didn't appear to have a substance abuse problem. Wait, drug habits? There's two ways in the court of law to get your client out of jail and into a rehab center, mm -hmm. and it's mental disorder mm -hmm. or substance abuse. They knew that he wasn't a drinker, so they were trying to make him look like a druggie. Mm -hmm. But he don't look like one because he wasn't one. Yep. Oh, wow. Despite the lack of evidence, Mendel was successful and Johnny was transferred. I guess when you have lots of money, anything is possible. I was going to say, you know. <laughs> On May 23rd, May 23rd, 2012, after two months in lockup, Johnny was transported to Ridgeview Ranch in the foothills of Altadena. At this treatment center, the patients would be asked to participate in equine therapy, yoga, meditation, and art therapy. Horses. Sounds really nice. Ah, you know, I worked with horses, and um, that's what equine therapy is? Horse therapy. Yeah. Um, equestrian therapy. Now it makes sense. <laughs> when I was living in um, San Jose, up in the Bay Area, there's a place called Bok Ranch, B-O-K Ranch. I forget what it stands for, but they do equine therapy with children. Aww, so kids who have beautiful. like spinal issues or um, muscle issues or birth defects or even um, doesn't have to be physical. It could be a mental, emotional, like the autistic, like they can't connect. Yeah. For some reason, they will connect to an animal Aww. because a lot of riding a horse is you have to like you have to feel the horse. You know, and you yeah. guide them based on like how you squeeze your legs and you know, like anyways. That was kinda cool. Yeah. My friend cool. in South Carolina, mm -hmm. she uh her dream is to have equine therapy. I didn't know that's what it was officially uh -huh. called. But she I visited her, she has horses, mm -hmm. I don't know if that sounds familiar. I went to college with her. Yeah. Um and yeah, she's got a bunch of horses and Aww. that's her she's a um she's a recovering alcoholic uh -huh. and she found recovery through horses yeah. and so that's been her biggest mm -hmm. um she's a survival of a lot of things but yeah that was like her draw to the animal there's something amazing about that because they're smart and they're intuitive and they i don't know and you can't like 
like dogs you just play with you know no, but a horse it's horse. like you become you communicate you with communicate you yeah. like have the common goal you're like when you're riding partners together. with a horse yeah. It's cool. It's cool. I love horses. Yeah. I got a little sad because they wouldn't let me ride them. Aww. I just had to work with the kids. You know what I'll do? I'll show you guys the last time I rode a horse. What happened? Here's the picture. Laugh. Bonus features! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Richview called itself a dual diagnosis facility, treating residents for psychosis and substance abuse. Everyone was hoping this change of scenery would be just the thing to save him. While at Ridgeview, Johnny wrote an email to his friend Tucker, who then shared it with his father, Johnny's father, on June 12, 2012. The core of the story is that I was involved in a fight. My actions were self-defense, but my means were a glass bottle. After a few court dates, a stint in a county jail, and the realization that there is no self-defense law in California, I am back on my feet and doing well. The court case is still ongoing, but from what we're hearing, it has a good chance of getting dropped outright or disappearing with time served. At the end was a postscript that led, on a side note, we are pleading rehab to avoid trial. Parentheses, addicted to marijuana. What a trip. End parenthesis, end quote. That's so he was pretending to be addicted to pot? This is what he wrote in an email, apparently. And also, there's no self-defense law in California. I don't know. We could look that up. You would have your phone. Mean? Do you have your phone? I think he's more like just being really salty, saying that his plea that it was self-defense, they didn't buy it, and so he's just being like a crybaby. That's my point of view. Firefox yeah. as a browser. There is Firefox as a browser. Yeah. I don't even know anyone who uses it. Self-defense law, California. She just called me lame. California law allows the use of force in self-defense when you reasonably believe that you or they are in imminent danger of physical harm and that force is necessary to stop the danger. However, you may only use the degree of force reasonably necessary under the circumstances. <gasps> so I think he's just being a crybaby and he wasn't using self-defense because he broke into a home and then attacked the people that came home into right, their own right, home. Right, right, right. It was their home. If yeah. anything, they would have been the ones who could say self-defense yes. of their property. Yeah, he's just being a crybaby. He's being like the crazy guy who's attacking people that they... Yeah. Castle doctrine is a set of laws in California apply to a situation when people use self-defense inside their homes. A person does not have to retreat when someone breaks into their home and may use deadly force in defense of himself. Oh, so this is basically like stand your ground. So yeah, if you wanted to kill me, you could just tell the police you didn't know I was coming over. She broke in. Yeah, and you could kill me once they get inside your home. So he says that there is no self-defense law in California. So that's He's not entirely just, true. It's not true. He's just yeah, being a crybaby. It is a stand your ground state. That's interesting. Unfortunately, Johnny's claims of being addicted to marijuana did not fly with the trained counselors and fellow addicts. So, he switched and pretended to be addicted to alcohol. That demon rum man possessed me. What a liar. Johnny's mental state began to improve after a few months. In one of his final journal entries from July of 2012, Johnny wrote, Felt more whole today more complete, like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world, 
and now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever now. I'll face what I am, I'll face what I was. That's written like a weird person. Some There's a description of him from his friends that I didn't add in here, but mm -hmm. everyone describes him as like very poetic and like very intellectual, and he likes to think of himself as like a true artist. Oh, I guess it is poetic. It just sounds weird. Johnny was supposed to do one year of jail time for the Northridge bottle assault. His lawyer sought a deal. Oh, I had like food all over my face just now. But Johnny was so confident his case would be dropped. It was self-defense. So he fired his lawyer and then proceeded to act as his own attorney, <laughs> which Judge Cynthia Olfig allowed. Johnny figured he would only spend a few days in jail and then resume normal life. All right. Yeah. If you ever get in trouble, <laughs> hire a lawyer. Yeah. Never act as your own attorney. Yeah. That never ends well. Mm -mm. Is there a single incident where that's ever ended nope. well? Like Not unless ever. you are an attorney already. But even then, I feel like your it's judgment still, is going to be clouded. Yeah, it's still not good. But you know? <sighs> He's like, I'm an actor. I can play an attorney. <laughs> Objection! <laughs> but, of course, Johnny did not win his case. He was sentenced to one year in prison, taken back to the Twin Towers, and unfortunately, because of the county's overcrowded jails, his sentence, oh, unfortunately, but this is fortunate for him, his sentence was drastically reduced. You know, I changed the word to unfortunately on purpose. Because if he had stayed in jail, all the things he was reading never would have happened. Good point. He only spent a total of six weeks in jail before being released on September 21st, 2012. Now, this is the final countdown of the story. Now that Johnny was out of prison and a free man, he had to figure out where to go. He couldn't go back to his parents' house in Northridge because his criminal behavior with his neighbors, so he decided to reach out to an old landlord of his, Kathy Davis, the old lady who owned the writer's villa. Johnny asked his father to get him back to the writer's villa, and Michael admits, it didn't occur to me to say, oh, by the way, he's having problems. I thought this was a place he was familiar with, and they will give him a lot of love. Johnny was accepted back. Take your time. Okay. I know. I know. It's stressful. Doggy hiccups. Johnny was accepted back at the writer's villa, got to stay in the red suite again on the second floor. With high hopes, Michael called the following day to check in on his son. Johnny answered agitatedly, I'm busy, what do you want? He eventually calmed down and told his father that they would talk later. It was the last time that Michael Lewis would speak to his son. One of the neighbors at the villa on this fateful day on September 26th 2012 was Dan Blackburn, a former NBC newsman and his wife, Gloria. The story is, Johnny walked up to their door, knocked and introduced himself. After an awkward beat, he wandered away from the door and started to exude very strange behavior. The next thing they know, Johnny is attacking the house painter just outside. The motive of this attack is unclear. 
Johnny was pummeling the house painter's face with his fists as Dan Blackburn had to step in and pull Johnny off the painter. In one motion, Johnny leapt to his feet and slugged Blackburn, who was in his 70s, in the eye, knocking him to the ground. Oh, that could do some damage. He cold cocked him. <laughs> Johnny's expression was flat, his gaze distant, but he seemed to have superhuman strength. He didn't flinch as Blackburn stood up and landed a punch to his temple. Blackburn then struck him with a chair, which stunned him enough that Blackburn, his wife, and the painter were able to escape into the house. They tried to shut the front door, but Johnny stuck his arm through the opening, as if from a scene from a horror movie. The three pushed their full weight on the door, slamming it four times until he finally retreated. They immediately called the police. This guy's acting so crazy. Yeah. I would be concerned that he would, like, jump in through a window at that point. From a window, Blackburn saw Johnny leap over the waist-high fence around the deck. His feet never seemed to touch the ground. He scaled the fence, disappeared into the villa. He was like a low-key Spider-Man, said Blackburn. Blackburn was interviewed by the same journalist who mm -hmm. interviewed Michael Lewis, the father. Mm -hmm. This big, giant, beautiful article describing this whole story. Really? This is a first-hand recount. Mm -hmm. When the police finally arrived, they found a grisly scene. Johnny, face up dead in the middle of the driveway, his skull cracked in half. <gasps> Is that a photo? It's a photo of the blood on the driveway. That's some profuse bleeding. Looking at the villa, they saw a patio and a roof which rose about 15 feet above the ground. They noted that Johnny's left eye socket was caved in, the skull was smashed just to the left of center. He had plunged from either the second floor or the roof and died instantly. Inside, the scene was even more gruesome. Walking upstairs from the first floor, the investigators had to step over broken glass before entering a large bedroom in the southwest corner, Johnny's room. There, they found a rusty hammer with traces of blood on it. Following the trail of destruction to the attached bathroom, they discovered the body of a dead cat in the shower covered in blood its skull bashed in oh. across the hall from Johnny's room was the master bedroom Kathy Davis's room there was blood on her bed frame wall table and chair on the floor next to the bed laid her body blood force trauma to the head her face is covered in blood her nose is split down the middle her upper jaw is split open fractured her entire skull and obliterated the left side of her face, leaving her brain exposed. Brain and tissue matter seen on the floor around her. her there were four small puncture wounds in her left cheek, presumably from a mechanical pencil found beside the body. The official report released two months later revealed that Davis had been killed by blunt force trauma to the head. You think? Investigators believe that just minutes after he had introduced himself to Blackburn, Lewis went back into the villa, confronted Davis in a room. No one knows what fueled his rage, but one rumor floated amongst her friends was that he had gone to the fuse box and turned off the electricity the night before the attack. Remember, if he doesn't like light. Mm. Davis had confronted him and given him a stern warning to never do that again. Johnny had punched Davis several times, then strangled her with his bare hands. 
It was unclear whether he'd used the hammer found in his room on Davis, but the force of his beatings were so severe that the investigators believe Johnny may have stumped on her skull. Stumped. Stumped? What did I say? Stumped. Tomato, tomato. He then killed her cat and left it in the shower. So he killed Kathy Davis and then went to harass the Blackburns. Mm -hmm. That's what they believe. It's unclear whether he had jumped or slipped. His death was officially ruled an accident, not a suicide. As the news broke, a theory quickly emerged on the internet. Johnny had been on bath salts, an illegally manufactured designer drug often containing an amphetamine-like chemical called methylene dioxyperivalone. Wow! She got I never would have been able to read that. Or NDPV. I just want to quickly say that there were other articles that said he was using a drug called Smiles, which I've never heard of. But it was it was like interesting because I was like, oh, what were the street drugs in 2012? There was something <laughs> called Smiles. All I remember about bath salts is that guy in Miami like ate another man's face. Oh, do you remember that? Yes. And I was like, zombies are real and they're coming for us and it's time to go now. The toxicology report was a disappointment. If it wasn't drugs, then what drove Johnny Lewis to murder? Critics of Scientology have pointed to the church's resistance to psychiatry as a possible reason why Johnny's early behavioral issues might have been untreated. Johnny's father discounts that assumption, claiming that he pursued and encouraged psychiatric treatment for his son. It was Johnny that refused. Was his whole family in Scientology or just Johnny? Um, the parents were. Everyone was. I don't know if Johnny was, but the parents were Scientologists. Okay. So the Church of Scientology wouldn't comment or confirm on on Johnny. But if his parents were, I mean... Yeah, but like I some people imagine. like don't do what their parents do, you know, so... I feel like it's hard to escape that. It's yeah. Not like, it's not like just like... Your parents going to church and you're like, I'm going to stay home and send you money. Yeah. No, but I don't know because I couldn't really find too much about it. Sons of Anarchy creator Kurt Sutter posted the following on social media. It was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately had lost his way. I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events last night, but I was not. I am deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive path. Isn't that interesting? That is the really... creator of... He's like, I'm not today. surprised. I know. And this is the only person that spoke that Ooh. way. Ooh. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? I'm just reacting to the camera. Okay, sorry. I keep interrupting your reaction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those who are once close to Lewis expressed their grief. U.S. Weekly... Is it U.S. Weekly or Us Weekly? It's Us Weekly. Us Weekly reported that Katy Perry was devastated, and her best friend, actress Shannon Woodward, tweeted, Johnny Lewis, I love you deeply and madly and always. My heart is broken in a million little pieces. She then added, Johnny Lewis was one of my best friends. He was very, very ill. His actions were a despicable result of that. It is not who he was. Michael Lewis, his father. My wife and I do not believe the allegations. He was a peaceful person, his father said. I keep expecting a phone call from him asking me to pick him up from the airport, that he's sorry for what he put us through, and that it was all just an acting exercise to get him ready for some thriller movie where everyone thinks he's dead. But That's, that's so, so sad. sad. 
I like could cry right now. It's really sad. And that's it. Huh. A lot of ironies and a lot of uh, almost like a was it premonition? Kind of. Pre, um, well, it's bizarre. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre because he became the stories he portrayed, right? Yeah. He became a dangerous criminal. This is a fascinating case. I, I mean, traumatic brain injury makes sense to me. Having some, like a major shift in your personality and your behavior that's triggered by a very obvious traumatic thing yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. If it was schizophrenia, I would imagine it was a little bit more of a progressive thing. Unless he had symptoms and he was hiding it. But see, I think, like, the creator said he wasn't surprised. So it's like, Mm -hmm. what was he doing when he was working on on Sons of Anarchy? Why couldn't he be in a co-parenting relationship Mm -hmm. with Diane? Why did he lose custody of his kid? Yeah. You know, and the dad clearly is portraying this bright, light, beautiful picture of his son. Mm Mm-hmm. But the facts are the facts. Right. And what parent wouldn't want their kid to be remembered in a... Right. In, a, in like, the best version of right. themselves. And they clearly were in mm-hmm. some sort of denial because they were like, he's okay now after one month. Yeah. And it's like, he yeah. wasn't. No, he wasn't okay. He hasn't been okay for a long time. Yeah. And there were a lot of flags that they just kept ignoring. And the best friend, Katy Perry's best friend, they dated yeah. how long ago? And she said, he was my best friend. He was ill. Yeah. So... It's like, there's so yeah. many... Like, there's he just wasn't right ever. Maybe he had schizophrenia or something, right? Maybe he had something, but the frontal lobe, it was like, uh, was it not coincidental, but like it compounded it, right? I, yeah, I don't like, know. Like suddenly the um, part of your brain that says like, okay, this is like not normal behavior. Let's repress it. Let's hide it from the people around us. Right. All of a sudden, that's gone because you don't have that part of the brain anymore. That's a beautiful theory. Another theory that I might add in is I wonder if, like you said, you know, the characters that he plays, if that all kind of contributed to this fictional identity that he had. And once the line of whatever his reality was, once that started getting blurred, he would start recalling... um, either memories or actions, actions yeah. or characters or but, yeah. you know tapping into like what was my character's motivation at the time or the physicality of the character mm-hmm. was he having like this self-loathing moment where he mm-hmm. wanted to throw himself off and die yeah. was he yeah I'd be curious to know what was the circumstance of that if it was like an accident like a car accident or if he took a corner too fast from what I from from what I gather just from reading it it seems like he just like he fell off like he he created yeah he like yeah he lost control and without the exclusive interview from the neighbor and the dad and the sister and Tucker Mm -hmm. the friend the story would have not been as interesting because we wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known so many intimate details yeah um, because it really just looks like, oh, some actor like lost his mind and then mm-hmm. killed people, and we all never know why. And it just shines a bright light on mental health issues. Also, like, really exposes like mm-hmm. if you're like in denial of your loved ones, then you're like you're not good for them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're part of the problem. You're. It's almost like you're enabling them. You're the enabler. Way. Yeah. Yeah, because you're a, you're 
you're obstructing you're like, getting them the help that they need and taking it seriously. Yeah. You get involved in storytelling that's criminal-like and dangerous, and and clearly everything in him didn't want to be a part of it anymore. He was mm-hmm. scared of it. But he, he declared. Like, resonated with him. Yeah, maybe it was yeah. showing him a part of himself that he didn't like. Yeah. And he was like, no, That's I'm the sensitive poet. No, I'm the like guy who wants to write the novels mm-hmm. about the musician mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And I just find it all so curious because, you know, I have demons. You have demons. And mm-hmm. sometimes when we're in like a weaker place where we're just feeling like kind of beaten up by life, we definitely could feel bullied by our demons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And imagine if that's what was going on let's say like he's finds out he's pregnant him and diane are fighting they're not getting along they're Mm -hmm. trying to move in together she's like this isn't gonna work you know Mm -hmm. and then he's like well i don't want to be on sons of anarchy anymore everything is shit i hate my life i'm not good enough for anyone like who knows yeah i mean it seems like if his personality was um you know, exhibiting those outbursts and irritability and violence and, you know, things like that. And his character on Sons of Anarchy was, like, constantly... Doing that. Doing that in his face. I mean, that's a trigger, right? Like, it's right. the same reason, like, there are shows that I don't watch because, like right. you said, there's demons. You yeah. know, I'm like, if I ever got a chance to work on one of those shows, it'd be very conflicting depending on what that role is. Yeah. Because I'd have a really hard time dealing with certain scenarios. And certain I things. fucking agree. Sometimes actors are the best playing a role where they're mostly being themselves and they don't really have to act. And so there might have been like this deep truth mm-hmm. to who he mm-hmm. was as an actor playing this very violent character and that might have really scared him. Acting, we're both actors, acting class can be like therapy. It can be the first time you ever look in the mirror and really see yourself for who you are. Acting exercises can bring out sides of yourself, vulnerabilities, memories, feelings that you didn't know existed. And you can put yourself in these these fake, you know, false narratives in dialogue where you're filling the scene with all these emotions that are acting emotions, right? But it's really coming from you. So there's definitely this intimate relationship between the person and the character they portray. And that was something like I was thinking about, especially when the creator was making that comment. I'm like how different was he from his character? Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of this tale, I wanted to talk about Kathy Davis because mm-hmm. she was this innocent, giving woman mm-hmm. who I am sure all of the celebrities, all of the non-celebrities that have passed through her life and experienced like her, her beauty and generosity mm-hmm. were fucking heartbroken when they found out that this horrific thing happened to her mm-hmm. because she opened her home to yeah. someone who was so troubled yeah. and it's so shitty because she didn't even know that he was troubled i'm pretty sure that the the writer's villain no longer exists oh i'm sure um, she was the writer's villain yeah sure. but no one took over really her daughter didn't take over i'm mm-hmm. pretty sure they just closed up shop is like a tragedy yeah. just, i mean i wouldn't be able to take over that as the daughter either i think it's so interesting when you read about a famous person who like you can even find anything because I feel like on one hand the tabloids will just take this one aspect of it and 
repeat, repeat, repeat it. Drugs. You know? Mm-hmm. Most of the tabloid articles it's are all drugs, about drugs. And it's half the time it's wrong. Yeah. And they're tabloids, and, right? And we kind of skipped over it. Mm-hmm. It was just one sentence that I put in there that the toxology report disappointed. Basically, it means there were no drugs in his system. He took absolutely no drugs of any kind. He didn't take the medications Mm -hmm. prescribed to him. He wasn't on bath salts or smiles or whatever (laughs) they used him of. He took Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. He was acting in his own free will. But I was going to say, on the other hand, it's like the tabloids will like force feed you something that might or might not be true. But then their PR person, if they're famous enough, they have a PR person. They hide everything. So then you can't find any details at all. And you have to rely on whatever individuals to come forth and tell the story. story. It's sad that that's what his legacy is going to be. It is very sad. I was like looking at the patterns that I could see surrounding him. Mm Um, Katy Perry was quoted saying like she had to get out of a relationship with him because mm. she needed to focus on herself and she wasn't she didn't feel like she could with him. Yeah. So it seemed like a very intense, yeah. very potentially toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so Diane dated him, had his baby, cut him out of her life. Mm-hmm. Then she married another actor who's also from the OC because they're both from the OC mm-hmm. and. They had marital issues. She's since accused him of marital rape. And of her new husband. Yes. And so there's a pattern here, right? She has a type in men. There might be a little bit of a darkness to these mm-hmm. men. Like, I don't know. I'm speculating. Yeah. But Katy Perry also has a very bizarre type. She she likes very complicated men. <laughs> she dated that comedian. She married that comedian, Russell Brand, Russell Brand who, you know... Whatever happened between them, I don't know. She was making her documentary the whole time they were married, and I'm sure that that did not help their relationship in any kind of way. He's a survivor of substance abuse and Mm -hmm. potentially a narcissist, you know, and she's a narcissist, and it's just like, when you look at, like, all the people involved in this, it just Mm -hmm. seems like there's definitely some sort of personality disorder or something Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. made him extremely difficult to be around. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was scared of substances because perhaps it brought out a side of himself that he wasn't comfortable with. Drugs particularly, like if you're schizophrenic or bipolar, it really exacerbates your condition. Got it. Like it just um, really destabilizes you. Sure. In that way. Sure. I had a really fun time writing it. I'll write more. I don't mind writing more. I just want more time to do it. Mm-hmm. Also, you did a great job of reading. Guys, didn't you like Jackie reading? I hope you liked my writing. I did. If you already knew this story and you have anything to add, comment below. Let us know if we missed anything. Um, If you've never heard this story and you want to share your thoughts, we always read our comments. So Mm -hmm. feel free to like, share, comment, tell your friends, tell your grandma, tell your mom. (laughs) I always say it. I always say it. If you enjoy our episodes and would like to be a part of supporting our channel, check us out on Patreon under Two Girls, One Crime. And if you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Follow, like, subscribe, and show us the love in the comments.